You're listening to a sermon from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. For more sermons or information about our church, please visit ktnnaz.org or like Ketchikan Naz on Facebook. All right, we are in the book of Matthew, uh, and we are talking about faith this morning. Um, put up on the signboard uh, this really funky word. So if you've driven past the signboard this week, you've seen the word pistophobia, okay? And you might wonder, what? And you might have tried to pronounce it a few different ways like I did a handful of times before I got up here on a Sunday morning. This is a word that exists in the human vocabulary. And the word means the fear of faith. To have a fear of faith. And we think, how could that be possible? How could someone have a fear of faith? Because faith should give us confidence. Faith should give us courage. Faith should not be something we are scared of. So I like that video we did today because um, it shows that we can be very, very excited about certain things in faith, and yet when put to the test, we don't have necessarily a fear of the faith. She trusted Jesus, but she didn't trust the things that she could see with her eyes. This morning we want to talk about what faith is. Um, We want to talk about how we might overcome this seeming fear of faith. And learning to fall backward when we're looking at Jesus. When scripture says, fix your eyes upon Jesus, it means that if you fall backwards, your eyes are fixed on Jesus. And you're looking at him. He's not, you know, you don't see him behind you. You see him in front of you. That's a whole nother level of faith, as the video called it. It's level two, okay? And we we want to go to level two in our lives. We want to go to level three in our lives. We want to go to level in our life. See, the thing is, we might not actually fear faith, but we might fear what living in faith might mean for us, right? If I have faith in Christ, I give my life to him, what will he make me do? I don't, I don't know. Maybe I don't want to put that step of faith out there because what if he sends me overseas to a land with large spiders that I am not a fan of? What if he asks me to tell my parents about Jesus? That's a great fear. What if he asks me? Oh, what about my stuff? If I have faith in Jesus, what about my stuff? Does, do I need to give it all away? Do, do I need to sell it? Am I allowed to have stuff? What about my old friends? What about my old habits? What about the things that I still love? What about the sins in my life that I'm not quite sure I want to get rid of because I still think they're good? Now, what happens when things go wrong in life? Where's my faith then? Can I still have faith and endure the things that go wrong? There's a culture in the world that gets faith wrong. And it's not the biblical worldview of faith. It's the world's worldview of faith. And it says that if something goes wrong in your life, you didn't have enough faith. If you don't have enough money, you didn't pray hard enough. If you don't get that promotion, it's because you didn't pray or don't have enough faith. And it's this name it, claim it attitude of faith 
that the world talks about. And I need to say very clearly before we dive into all of this, name it, claim it does not exist in the scriptures. There is no such room for if I have 10 ounces of faith, then I get 10 ounces of gold. And if I have 20 ounces of faith, then I have 20 ounces of gold. God does not work in an economy in which we say our physical possessions are dependent on our faith or our health is dependent on our faith. Because frankly, how many of you have had faith that has faltered? Anybody else aside from me? Don't leave me hanging, please. Okay. Um, If you have had faith that has faltered in any way, shape, or form, aren't you glad that you're your, your health and your wealth and your possessions and your family don't depend upon your own ability? I am. Our faith does not provide for us our things. God is a good father who provides for us our needs and our wants. So what happens when things go wrong? What happens when things get difficult? What happens when things run out? How does faith intersect with that? And we want to talk about that this morning. I want to read the story to you um, because this is a great story. This is, um, this is actually the first story my daughter ever preached. Uh, uh, true story. Uh, she really wants to be a preacher. Um, and, uh, and we brought her to church one day because she wouldn't stop asking us, take me to church. I want to do church. And we're like, okay, we're going to see what this looks like. And we took her to church and We sat in the front seats here, and we gave her a microphone, and we put her on the front. And she led us in church, and I got to see what church looks like through her eyes. Um, She gets the major markers. We visited the prayer wall in her church service. Uh, She called us out for our sins publicly in in our church service. She pointed, now, Papa, confess your sins. Now, Mama, confess your sins. I'm not quite sure where she got that one from, but, you know, that's okay, too. And um, and then she led us in some songs, and then we danced, and we held hands, and we prayed. And then she preached a message, and she did it from heart, from memory. She preached um, this, uh, this story. Immediately, the disciples got into the boat and go before him to the other side, immediately upon feeding the multitudes, which we talked about last week. And he dismissed the crowds, and then Jesus, after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Because what was he trying to do in the first place before feeding the multitudes? He was trying to get a way to go pray, right? Okay, so he was like, okay, I've had a really long week. I want to go pray. I need my time with God and the Holy Spirit. So he dismisses the crowds. He goes up to a mountain to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone on the mountain. And the boat that the disciples were in was a long way off from land. And he was beaten by the waves because the wind was pushing against the disciples. And in the fourth watch of the night, 3 a.m. in the morning, walking on the sea, Jesus came to them. And when the disciples saw Jesus walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, take heart. It is I. The literal translation of that is I am, which is the reference to the Old Testament Uh, name of God. I am. Take heart. I am. So don't be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come onto the water. And so Jesus said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he became afraid and he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached his hand down, took a hold of Peter and said, 
oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. And then when they crossed over to the land Gennesaret, when the men at the place recognized him, they sent all around to the region and brought all who were sick and implored him that they might just, they might just touch the fringe of his coat and be healed. And as many as touched it were healed. And this is the word of the Lord this morning. We're going to dive into this. Um, so here are some things you need to know about this story. When my daughter told it, it was, it was much shorter, but she got the main points. And here were the main points she got. There was a big storm, and Jesus' followers were in the boat, and they were scared, and Jesus walked there, and Peter said, I want to come, and Peter, Peter walked on the water, and then he got scared, and Jesus saved him. That's how she ended her sermon. Thought that was a great sermon. We call that good. It lasted 30 seconds, and we were dismissed. <laughs> she, she got all the good stuff. There's some things about this story, though, that we need to understand so that we understand what's going on contextually, okay? Um, in, in 1986, yeah, 1986, a wooden vessel was um, discovered by archaeologists on the Sea of Galilee's northern, northwestern shore, okay? It was kind of decrepit, but they understood from it how the framework worked and what kind of boats that they used in this day and age. The boat that they pulled out of the muck at the bottom of the lake um, they determined that the boat was made out of cedar and oak, okay, because it was what they had on hand. It was a mortise and tenon joints, for those of you who know what that means. Great. Um, and the date, based on the ways that which we date things and the potteries that were found with the boat, um, that puts it right in the era of the passage we just read. So I think that that's pretty cool. This is a reconstruction of that boat. So this sits in, um, you know, uh, uh, the Sea of Galilee. There's a little uh, place that you can, and they have a little thing that you can look at the boat. Anyway, this is what the boat would look like, okay? I don't know, I don't know what you call a place where you put a boat, a display, a boat display. Um, anyway, it sits there. It's uh, 26 feet long, 7 feet wide, okay? And it's big enough for 15 men, okay? So... Roughly the 12 disciples, a few baskets of food, leftovers from the other day, and eventually Jesus. Now, we've talked about the Sea of Galilee before because there was another passage we read in which the disciples were in a boat, right, and Jesus was at the bottom of the boat, and there was this big storm that came up, and the disciples were terrified, and they're like, we're going to die. Jesus, why are you sleeping? And Jesus stands up and does what? Be still. And then the waves are flat, okay? So we've talked about the storms at the Sea of Galilee, but just for remembering's sake, the Sea of Galilee um, is positioned in a valley in which the winds whip down and into the sea, and it becomes violent quite quickly, um, and uh, storms in that, um, in that sea can spring up just like that. So you can have calm seas, and all of a sudden, wind comes through and whips the seas up, 10, 15 feet high in a little sea. It's weird. I mean, we might see that in the ocean, but to think of that in a lake is, is kind of a little weird. Um, violent storms would come off the hills and get trapped in the basin and be deadly to fishermen 
regularly, which is why boats are at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee and being excavated, because many, many, many boats went down. Fishing was a risky job, okay? So um, we know two things about this particular passage. The disciples in the boat were straining into the wind, okay? The wind was pushing them the direction they came from. So they were working really hard, rowing against the wind. The lake is five miles across, and they were about halfway, and it had taken them like six to nine hours to get halfway. So they were working really hard for a very long period of time, rowing into the wind, and they were tired, but Scripture doesn't tell us that they were terrified for their life. They knew that this was a dangerous storm, but it wasn't like the storm in which Jesus slept through. They were terrified for their life then. These are experienced fishermen. They were worried. They were tired, but they weren't thinking they were on the verge of death. They were just going to keep at it until the storm subsided or they reached the other side. What did we talk about in Sunday school today? Endurance, right? Okay, and this is endurance. They were in the boat. They were going. They were not yet halfway across. Things that we need to learn from this story. First and foremost, um, there's, there's a similar boat style, okay, and the disciples getting in the boat. Faith in Jesus puts you in the boat, okay? Faith puts you in the boat. If they didn't have faith in Jesus, they weren't going to get in that boat. Why would they do what Jesus said? They didn't love Jesus. If they didn't love Jesus, they're not getting in the boat. They're going back home, okay? The disciples had faith in Jesus. So in verses 22 through 24, um, immediately he told the disciples to get into the boat and to go to the other side. And so he went up and prayed, and the disciples were where? In the boat, okay? They were in the boat. They were rowing. If you are in the boat, in this terminology, you are in the Lord's will. The disciples were in the Lord's will by being in the boat. They were doing what Jesus had asked them to do. He said, get in the boat. Okay, Jesus, we'll get in the boat. That's not hard. That's not difficult. We know boats. We're fishermen. We will get in the boat, and we will go to the other side. See, the thing about being in the Lord's will, about being in the boat, is there's a direction behind it. It's not just um, willy-nilly. Jesus gave a clear direction and instruction to the disciples. You get in the boat, row to the other side. Um, So they had a purpose For the Lord's will, it was, we are going to obey Jesus, we're going to get in the boat, we're going to row to the other side. There is direction with the Lord's will. But there's also something that they encountered. They encountered weather, right, while they were in the boat. They were in the boat, which means they were in the Lord's will. But they still encountered weather. Sometimes the weather was good weather. They had sunny days and they had calm seas. But in this particular instance, they were in the Lord's will by being in the boat, rowing across the sea. And yet a great storm came up while they were doing what God told them to do. Any of you done what God told you to do and it just, things were just not working out for you? Anybody? Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's acceptable to say I'm in the Lord's will and yet things are not around me as comfortable as I might want them to be. Some weather might be good, some weather might be bad. That doesn't change the fact that you are still to be in the boat going where God has told you to go. Now, for some people, sitting in the boat is passive, okay? There are only so many oars in the boat. There are only so many men in the boat. Sometimes there were more oars than men. Sometimes there were less oars than men. 
which means some people are actively rowing and some people are passively sitting. When you are in the Lord's will, when you are in the boat, there are two ways to be about that. You can be active or you can be passive, right? You can come to church every single day. God would love that. You could read your Bible every single day. God would love that. But you might still be passive in your faith and obedience to God if you're not serving, sharing the gospel, teaching people about Jesus, putting your faith that you claim to work. If you just, if the disciples just piled in the boat and said, we're in, we're in God's will, we're in the boat, just like he said, and they pushed the boat off, all right, we're in the boat. But they failed to follow through with the hearing the word and the doing of the word, which means get to the other side. And they never picked up the oars and started rowing. Then they are passively in God's will. They're just going along for the ride. And there's really no dig in and participate. So when we're in the Lord's will, when we're in the boat doing what God has asked us to do, we need to evaluate with the Lord through prayer, are we active or are we passive? Are we just sitting here, going along for the ride? Whatever the waves are doing is what is tossing us about. Because Jesus says he looks upon the people, and they were like waves tossed about on the sea. We don't want to be the passive kind of person, gets determined the course of our direction by the waves of the sea. The course of our direction is determined by what the Lord says. Get to the other side. Okay, grab an oar, get to the other side. The Lord wants us to go to the other side. You are either along for the ride or you are rowing hard and you are straining to do what the Lord has asked you to do. Now, here's the second part of this. If you are in the Lord's will, if you are in the boat like Peter was, then you encounter this, verses 25 through 30. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them and he was walking on the sea. So he walked down off the mountain. He walked through 10-foot seas, okay? And they saw him from far off and they were terrified. Um, Judaism in this day and age was superstitious. There was a lot of superstition involved. There was a lot of things that were getting worked into the faith that shouldn't have been, and there were some misunderstandings, and they were very superstitious. So their first response was, that's a ghost. There is no other explanation for that in my worldview except ghost, okay? So they were terrified, not by the waves, but by seeing Jesus. And Jesus said, take heart, it's I, don't be afraid. And Peter boldly answered him, if it is you, okay, then command me to come to you, to get out on the water and walk. And Jesus said, come. And Peter got out on the water and walked, and he came to Jesus. Faith not only puts you in the boat, but if you're actively following through with what God has asked you to do, faith will also put you on the water. Okay? It's like the second step. You know, falling backwards when Jesus is behind you, first step, you're in the boat. Walking on the water... It's like falling backwards when Jesus is in front of you. And you need, you need to trust a whole new set of circumstances uh, with God. Faith puts you on your feet. See, Peter's um, faith put him walking, not just sitting. He wasn't content anymore to sit and row. Jesus said, go to the other side. That's great. But Jesus is right there. And where did Peter want to be? With Jesus. Because Jesus is his Lord. He said, I want to be where Jesus is. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go where Jesus is. And I uh, figure if I'm with him, then I'm golden because wherever Jesus is is where God's will is being done. So I'll just be with Jesus, and those schmucks can row the boat, and I, I will go be with Jesus. 
And so Peter runs headlong into this, and he says, I trust you, God. If it's really you and it's not a ghost, tell me to come to you. And Jesus spoke and said, come. And Peter's like, that's all I need. I'm good. And he steps out of the boat. And remember, there's 10-foot seas. This is a community that understands water. Has anybody been in 10-foot seas before? Okay, would any of you get out of the water boat and walk on that? Okay, any of you just want to kind of sit down on that boat and just hold tight to something? Because the boat's doing whatever, you know? Um, I saw the neatest little YouTube video of a, a fishing ship in the Galilean Sea. This was two years ago, three years ago that it was filmed. And it was filmed in roughly 10-foot seas. And the guy must have had uh, some GoPro or camera fixed right on the, the edge of the boat. And it was up and down and up, and, and it looked so violent. Um, and so I thought of that image as I'm thinking how Peter, in the first place, stands up to move to the edge of the boat and then somehow manages to get out of the boat and then puts that first foot down in the 10-foot sea, whether it's a trough or not, I don't know, and yet it held his weight. And I imagine that first step, he said, come, and Peter was like, okay. And, and I saw a painting. I did a lot of imagery searching for this because I'm a visual guy. And I saw a painting, and I couldn't get it high enough resolution to show it. Um, it just kind of distorted everything. But um, it was Jesus on the, it was from Jesus' perspective. The angle was from behind Jesus. So you saw the back of Jesus. You saw the boat. You saw the waves. And you saw Peter in a dead sprint because he was like, I can't wait to be with Jesus. And he trusted the water to hold his weight as he ran. He just got out of that boat and he's like, I'm here for Jesus. And he went straight to Jesus. I love that. That intensity that, that Peter has, like, that's where I want to be. That's what I want to do. I'm going to go do it. He said, come, I'm going to go. And we're off. Faith puts you on the water. He trusted Jesus' command that went beyond the initial command of sitting in a boat and row to the other side, but it stretched his understanding of what, what he thought God could do in his life, around his life, through his life. He trusted God's command to come, and he trusted that God would sustain him in that. Step after step after step, and I don't know how far out. Scripture doesn't tell us how far out Jesus was. Faith motivates your actions. Faith motivates your actions. If Peter didn't have faith that that was Jesus, he would have not gotten out of the boat. He would have been content to say, I'm not exactly sure, God, you told me to do this, and so I'm doing this, but now I, I don't know if that's you, so should I, should I go here or should I continue with what I was doing? Because this is what you've told me to do, but I have an opportunity to hear your voice and go this direction, do I trust that you are going to sustain me if I course correct with you? Faith motivates your action. Faith also exposes your, or um, it also exposes your faith in your flesh when you take that action. Um, Peter saw something when he was out in the water that day. He saw the 10-foot seas, Okay. And, uh, and then as he was walking or running to Jesus, what happened to him? He started to sink. Why did he start to sink? He was afraid. What, what, what made him afraid? Yeah, he took his eyes off Jesus and he looked down at the water or maybe up at the wave that was about to crash over him. You don't know, okay. And suddenly he saw with eyes of fear instead of eyes of faith. Does that mean he didn't have faith? No, he had faith to be walking on that water. But suddenly, something came in front of his faith and obscured his vision for a brief moment. 
Scripture says we're supposed to live by faith, not by sight, right? What did Peter do in that moment? He lived by sight, not by the faith that he had. So what he did is he's walking on the water, and suddenly the big wave is coming crashing over, and he knows that the water under him holds him, but what happens if that wave crashes over him, and he saw the wave, took his eyes off Jesus, and down he went. He walked by sight, not by faith. Scripture in our Sunday school passage this morning, funny how these overlap, I'm weirded out by that, same passage, says we fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, right? So when we are walking in faith, we don't fix our eyes on things that are constantly changing. The example I gave my Sunday school class with this, um, when I was a youth pastor, Uh, we went to a summer camp out in the mountains, and it had this great low and high ropes course that was like the thing that everyone wanted to do. And there were, you know, ropes, and there was this thing called the leap of faith, which I didn't do um, because I held the camera. And um, you'd climb up 50 feet vertically on a pole, and there was a little ledge, and um, you were harnessed so that if you fell, your belayer would catch you, okay? Um, But six feet out from you, was a a bar suspended. And the leap of faith was stand on something no really wider than your feet and jump six feet and grab. And uh, if you did it, you got gold stars and a free candy bar at the shack. I never did it, okay? That's not what uh, I wanted to say, but that's the leap of faith for you, okay? Um, uh, There was this balance log. It was probably as long as from me to the door, And it was about that big around, okay? And it was suspended by chains on both sides of it, attached to big old trees, so that um, when you stepped up the platform to step on it, the log wobbles, okay? And the idea was, it was a good six, ten feet off the ground, and there was a net that would catch you if you fell. Um, The idea was, get on the log and walk that wobbly log all the way to the end without falling off. Do you know... That if you do what your instinct is, brace yourself, step on the log, and you look down, you will get about three feet before you fall off that log. Because what are you looking at? The log that's going like this under your feet. So we struggled with this as a team for a while until one of the ropes course people said, what if you didn't look at the log? Like, What else are we going to look at? That's where my feet are. That's where I want to... I want to know that I've got solid log under me. Well, the reality is I didn't have solid log under me, so I needed to look at something else. They told us, if you fix your eyes on this little target that was about that big, wasn't very you know, much bigger than a silver dollar, on the tree in front of us, you brace yourself, you look at that, and did you know that you can walk that entire log, wobbly as it is, as long as you stay focused on that point right in front of you, Because your eyes and your brain aren't going to play tricks on you. You feel the motion, but your feet go where they go. Because you know how to walk. And as long as you fix your eyes on something that's not moving, you can make it the entire way. Do you know our entire youth group walked out long without falling off? That was really impressive to me as a young youth pastor. Because I learned something deeply spiritual that day. You fix your eyes on something that is perfect and immovable. 
and that gives you grounding for your lie. Peter struggled with that. We all struggled with that in our life. He took his eyes off of Jesus, and he saw the waves, and he felt the motion, and all of a sudden, he fell off the log, as it were. Peter believed the waves over Jesus' command of come. And we are to come to Jesus regardless of the waves. The waves don't determine whether or not we obey Jesus. We obey Jesus regardless of the circumstances around us. Faith puts you at risk when you're out on the water. It's not just that you're in the boat being passive, but that when you get out on the water, you take a risk. Peter took a risk. Sea of Galilee, 150 feet deepest point, okay? Not super deep, still deeper than I ever, ever want to think about ever again, okay? Peter took a risk when he walked out on the water. And we take risks in faith when we commit to following God's voice, when he says, give extra, go on a missions trip, serve the sick. You know, the, um, the whole Ebola thing that's been going on around the world, and I pray that you're praying that it would just end because um, people have died and it's not good to have plague around the world. But there were missionaries who were serving with Doctors Without Borders um, and other compassionate ministry, Christian-based organizations that had doctors in the field over there. They were given the option, a bull is here, stay or go. So we're here to serve the people. So we're going to serve the people. We're going to touch the sick, draw their blood, clean up after them, knowing full well that we might contract Ebola, and because of that, we might die. Now, we know from the news that a handful of nurses and doctors serving over there contracted Ebola. I know that Dr. Brantley and the nurse that was with him both survived. I know there are numerous other medical professionals who are Christians and chose to take the risk of their own life to serve people, to follow God, that are still getting sick and have the potential to get sick. But they do it, they take the risk. Because risk doesn't, um, doesn't mean we shouldn't act. Risk just means we lean into Jesus a little harder. Might we get sick? Yeah. Might we lose something that we had in possession of ours? Yeah. Does that change who God is to us? No. Does it mean he doesn't care about us? No. It means we're following him regardless of the cost. We take risks when we commit. To follow God. But risk is not a reason to just sit passively in the boat. I would say it is far more risky to stay passively in the boat than it is to get out of the boat and follow Jesus. I, like Peter, want to be where Jesus is. So if Jesus is in a foreign country serving the downtrodden, I want to be where Jesus is. If Jesus is here serving the homeless, I want to be where Jesus is. If Jesus has got his arms wrapped around the outcasts of the society, should we not then want to be where Jesus is with our arms wrapped around the outcasts of society? Risk is never a reason to ignore the voice of God. So we hear the voice of God and we get in the boat and we hear the voice voice of God. There we go, walking on water. We hear the voice of God and we walk on water. And we hear the voice of God. But what happens when we step out in faith and we become like Peter, overcome by doubt, 
by waves, by circumstance. We take the risk and we lose everything we thought we needed to sustain ourselves. There's something that we need to know. Faith puts you with Jesus. Where did it say that Peter was going? It says this, Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and he came to Jesus. He reached Jesus. He reached Jesus. He reached Jesus. So what happens at the foot of Jesus when he sees this wave cresting and he sinks? He got overwhelmed. But Jesus, if you are with him, he's greater than the circumstances around you. Who made the seas? Who made the seas? Okay. Who made the winds? Okay. Who made your body? Okay. Who made um, the fish that are swimming in the sea under you? Okay. Who made the universe? Who upholds it by the power of his word? Okay. So, um, little wave, if I'm standing with Jesus, yeah, Jesus got that. Okay. He's got that. He calms the seas with his voice. And in that circumstance, that was the greatest toil and turmoil that Peter was experiencing, walking on unsolid ground, water, okay? But in our lives, we have great turmoil, cancer, divorce, death of loved ones, loss of jobs, great global calamities, all these things that we look at and go, well, the housing market fell out, and now I'm, you know, under and and dug out on my house, and I have no idea. And then the car breaks, and then the radiator leaks, and then everything goes wrong. And how, how in the world am I supposed to follow God when the world is falling apart around me? When it seems like I can't make any headway, and I'm supposed to be in God's will, right? I'm in the boat, and I'm rowing, but I can't make any headway because of the wind. And there's this big wave, and it's about to crash down on me. And what am I supposed to do? Well... Faith, doesn't matter how big your faith is, faith as small as a mustard seed even, puts you with Jesus. Puts you with Jesus. And if you are with Jesus, he is the one who is greater than all of those circumstances. And he will save you if you ask. He will save you if you ask. What did Peter do? Lord, save me. Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached down and lifted Peter out. Immediately reached down and grabbed a hold of Peter. And I want you to think through this with me because this story, uh, maybe it just messes with me because I'm so scared of water um, that I, I, I ruminate on these kinds of experiences a little more because they terrify me so much. So I imagine myself as Peter and I'm outstanding next to Jesus and for a period of time, it's good And then something scares me, and I take my eyes off Jesus literally and figuratively because of the wave or because the trough dipped and we went down or I don't know what, but something terrified me, and I lost my perspective. And in the moment that I lost my perspective, my feet go through the water, and I'm sinking towards 150 feet down, and i got to tell you, my heart rate's jacked up right now just thinking about it. And so before my head goes under the water, the only words I can get out are, Lord, save me, or, and then I'm under. And immediately in that moment, Jesus grabs him. 
Jesus was probably already anticipating the grab, okay? And he was going, oh, yeah, I got this one. And he reaches down and he pulls Peter right back up and sets him back on the water. And then they walk back to the boat. And we go, yeah, that worked for Peter. Because he was on an ocean with Jesus. And Jesus was tangible. And Jesus was right there and Peter could see Jesus. But when it comes to our own life, we read through this story and we go, that was great for Peter, but I don't know if it's great for me. Because the waves are high and things are going difficult and I'm not quite sure if I can overcome this. And we're sinking. And do we even cry out what Peter cried out? Or do we try and paddle as fast as we can? Do we try and doggy paddle to keep our heads above the water furiously? Like a little mouse in a bucket of, you know, milk trying to make cream just so it can climb out, you know? That's what our default setting is, if we're honest with ourselves. Our default setting is, I'll just transfer money from savings to cover that. Or I'll just take out a loan so I can, or I'll just borrow a car, or I'll just walk, or I'll just, I'll sell that so I can. But when do we just go, I can't. I can't. When do we just go, Lord, save me, because I can't. I can't do it. There, Peter had no hope apart from Jesus in this moment. 150 feet down, Peter had no hope apart from Jesus, apart from, Lord, save me. And here's what I love is this dichotomy of faith and doubt and fear and salvation. Peter said, yeah, if you tell me to come, I'll come. Walk right out on the water. No big deal. I can walk on water with Jesus. I could float on the sky with Jesus. I can do anything with Jesus. That's Peter's attitude. Then Peter sees the waves, and he sinks. Lord, save me, he says. Jesus reaches down and saves him. And then as he's taking hold of him, he's saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And it's not the faith level that Jesus is chastising here. He's not saying, Oh, your faith stinks, Peter. You're a bad faith person. You don't have enough faith to save yourself. That's not what Jesus is saying. There's no name it, claim it here. There's no, Peter had to have enough faith to save himself. That's not what that says. This is Jesus having total compassion on someone who saw something that was greater than they could overcome on their own. Just saying, I love you. Why did you doubt? I'm right here with you. I am literally here. And you let your doubts overcome you. Let me reach into those doubts and pull you out. What would that do for your faith in that moment? My faith would go up. My faith would be like, oh, yeah. Oh, I remember why I walked on the water. I remember. Because sometimes our faith is shaky. Sometimes we're uncertain. It's not that we don't have faith. It's that we're not quite sure how to exercise it in those moments. Now, the more turmoil we have in our life, the more things God has brought us through, the more our faith has some weight to it in which we can say, I got no idea how that's going to work out. I haven't got the faintest clue. I'm still going to run headlong into it. Uh, And I'm sure God will sort it out along the way because I've seen him do it too many times in my life to think that he's not going to do it. So uh, even if my ground shakes, I'm still going to go that direction. Um, that's what, what Peter is working with here. He's going, a little bit of faith, he trusts to walk on the water. Struggles, gets pulled out, what does he do? He walks back with Jesus. 
He gets it. His faith is strengthened. Um, Does Jesus always grab us out of physical danger? No. Does Jesus always grab us out of financial stress? No. Um, Does Jesus always save a life that we are praying for? No. Um, Here's the thing with faith. Um, And I hear it all over this. If you just have enough faith, God will. And and it it, it just tastes bad to me when I hear that. Um, And so when we talk about faith, we are going to be very clear that it's not our faith um, that saves us. It's the faith that God enacts and works through us. It's God doing the saving. It's not us, okay? Um, Those who are in faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. This is in 1 Peter. This is the big picture, okay? Our faith is to be exercised daily. Our faith is to be utilized daily. Regardless of the circumstances, we're to be in the boat in God's will. And then when he tells us to get out of the boat and go somewhere, we're supposed to go get out of the boat and go somewhere. Um, But we might get hurt along the way. We might get sick along the way. Finances might run out along the way. We might lose people that we love along the way. And that does not change the fact that we are still supposed to be going. Here's what it says in the continuation of 1 Peter. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith would be of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though it's refined through fire, so that your faith might be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus is revealed. And though you've not seen him, that would be to us, though you've not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with this inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Faith is about soul saving, not about am I going to have that Corvette that I've always prayed for. And if I just have enough faith, I get that car. It's not about that. It is not at all in remotely about the physical possessions. Faith is about our souls. And faith is about the souls of the people that haven't yet met Jesus. And so when we have faith that God is taking care of our soul eternally, then come what may for the world around me. Because I've got faith that God has taken care of the most important thing. And if I'm a missionary in the Ebola field and I get Ebola and I die, at least I can witness on my way out. Right? That's what what the attitude was of those doctors. We have to have that attitude amongst us. But what if, I, what if I don't have faith? What if I don't have faith? That's a valid question, right? There might be people in this room this morning that have been in the church but don't have faith in Christ. They've never trusted Jesus for the salvation of their soul. What if you don't have faith? Scripture says this in Romans. Faith comes from hearing the word of God. Okay? Faith comes from hearing the word of God. And this morning, we've heard a story about Peter and how faith worked out in his life. How his faith in Christ provided salvation for him and gave him a purpose in his life that was greater than his own. You might have even found yourself kind of like Peter, even if you don't have faith, that you want something more than just what is in your life right now. Faith comes through the hearing of the word of God. So, 
I want you to hear a few more things from the Word of God directly quoted about faith. I'll put it up here. For by grace you are saved through faith. And it is not from you, it's from God. You are saved by grace through faith. See, Jesus took the price of of your sin debt. And he absorbed it upon himself. And on the cross, he died for your sins. Now you don't get the wrath of God. Now you get grace that flows from the cross to you. And how that grace is given, it's through faith. And how is that faith given? It's a gift. God gives you the gift of faith. You don't earn faith. You can't do enough to earn faith. Faith is a gift that God gives you. And before every single one of us was born, God on the cross looked down through time and said, I want everyone to have an opportunity to believe. I want everybody to be able to choose to follow me or not to follow me. And so he demonstrated to the world something called prevenient grace, meaning it happened before we happened. He gave it to us as a gift before we even were born or thought of. Something that when we would be born, our hearts would be inclined towards God, to search for God, to seek for God. And that is the gift of faith and grace. He gives us the ability to believe, and then the choice is ours. Christ saves us, and both grace and faith are free gifts from him. And there is nothing that prohibits your salvation except you saying, I don't want it. That's the only thing that prohibits it. If you say you don't want it, God's not going to make you take it. He's going to be grieved that you don't want it because he wants to be in relationship with you. But the choice is yours. He does not force you. Here's the second thing. We fix our eyes on Jesus because he is the author and perfecter of our faith. So God gives us faith, okay? He's the author of it. He wrote the faith in our hearts. And then what does he do down through time in our lives? He perfects it. So all those little struggles and all those little trials and all those little torments and all those little moments where you're like, I don't know how this is going to work out. And then, you know, 10 years later with hindsight, you go, oh, oh man, I see what God was doing there. He's perfecting our faith. He's enabling us to walk with stronger faith muscles. We fix our eyes on Jesus and we can walk that shaky log that life is. Faith is the assurance of things that are hoped for. The conviction of things not yet seen. Forgive the typo. Um, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Who hopes for what they already have? I hope, I hope for this vest. I just, I hope for it. I'm hoping so hard for this vest. You don't do that. You have it. Why do you hope for something you have, is what scripture is saying. You hope for the things that you have not yet seen. This is the already not yet kingdom that Jesus talks about. We have faith. We hope for the the bring it now, Lord Jesus kind of kingdom. Where there is no more sorrow and no more turmoil and no more sadness and no more brokenness. And no more confusion and no more broken relationships and no more tears and no more pain and no more suffering and no more any of that kind of stuff. We hope for that because it's not quite fully ours yet. And so our faith 
we lean into Jesus and we go, I'm hoping, I have faith that it's being worked out and I can't wait for that day when it's going to be worked out because I can't see it with my eyeballs yet. All I see around me is the stuff that's not yet worked out and I don't like all that stuff. But if I fix my eyes on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of my faith, he will perfect in me a faith which allows me to walk through the shakiness and endure until the end. And whether he comes back before I am done enduring or whether I endure and meet him at the end of my enduring, it doesn't really matter. Because I have a hope in things I've not yet seen with my eyes. And I know that they're greater than the things that I can see with my eyes. We must become convinced and convicted that God has saved us. It's not just enough to go that, yeah, Jesus died for my sins. That's a trite statement if we don't believe it. We must believe that every lie we have ever told, everything we have ever stolen, every person we have ever hurt, every gossip we have ever spoken, every, 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 every sin we have ever, 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 ever done and ever will do is enough, one of them, for us to experience the full wrath of God. So when we say, oh yeah, Jesus died for my sins, it's a little trite. We must not just state it like that. We must understand it at the deepest soul level that we were literally bound for death like Peter was bound for the bottom of the sea. And but from saying, Lord, save me, we will be bound for the bottom of the sea. And when we say, Lord, save me, he pulls us out and sets us on solid ground. And to the best of my knowledge, Peter never sunk on water again. Okay? He grew in his faith as time went on, and he still struggled, and Christ still perfected in him. Peter's story is a great one. What did he do later on in his life with Jesus? Denied him three times. Oh, man, Peter. I mean, I mean, seriously, is this guy ever going to get it? You know, you look at that story, and you want to know what the encouraging part is? Um, Jesus prayed for Peter before the denials occurred, specifically praying for Peter that trials were going to come and that Peter would stay strong, that Peter would have faith, that Peter would endure to the end because Jesus knew Peter was going to struggle. There was going to be a time when Jesus was going to be denied by Peter and um, it was within earshot of Jesus when, Jesus, when, Jesus was, when Peter denied Jesus. And they made eye contact probably. Because Jesus could hear it. And I am assuming that is the moment when Peter went, oh. Because he was sinking in a sea of his own making at that point, And Jesus was being flogged. And there was no hand to reach down and grab him. And so he went sad for a period of time. Because the last words Jesus ever heard him speak were, I don't know who Jesus is. That's so different from the Lord saved me. But Jesus saved Peter because Peter had faith. He didn't lose his faith. He just quite know how to exercise it in that moment. And Jesus prayed for Peter and Jesus prays for us that we might be strengthened in our faith. It's in John 17, the great high priestly prayer that Jesus prays. If you've not read it, read it. Jesus prays for you in that prayer that you would be strengthened, that you would have faith to endure, that you would be one with him like he is one with the Father, that you would be able to endure to the end time, that you would give glory to God with your life. We must not ever just say, oh yeah, Jesus died for my sins. No, Jesus snatched you out of death's doorstep and put you into life eternal 
That's something significantly different than, oh yeah, Jesus died for my sins, my sins are no big deal. We must become convinced and convicted that God has saved us through Christ, that he gives us the gift of faith, that he perfects it, and then, quote from 2 Corinthians, we are to live by faith, that faith that God has given us, not by sight. God wants us to see with kingdom eyes. He wants us to see with kingdom eyes what can be through the power of the Holy Spirit and to ignore the eyes of the flesh, which want to tell us differently. We tend to stumble when we see with eyes of flesh because we're very nearsighted. We can't see what's one step in front of us and we don't know how to prepare for it. But God's got kingdom vision. He knows how it's all going to work out and he knows the path along the way. And he says, you might not always see the path in front of you, but in faith, if you grab my hand and walk with me, it will be okay. It will be okay. Scripture gives us two prayers to pray in regards to faith that I think are very powerful. And they are very short. So I would encourage you to memorize them. And then depending on where you are in the trough and sea of your life, you can pray one of these two prayers. The first one is this. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. Any of you ever prayed a prayer like that? <laughs> yeah, I believe, but help my unbelief. Someone gets diagnosed with cancer, I believe. I believe, God, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help it. You, know, you lose a car or a loved one or the things that go wrong in life. Look, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. If you desire faith and you want to ask for faith, but you're not sure you have faith or you know how to have faith, or you're not sure you know how to believe, let me tell you, all of that wondering is faith working itself out. Just the very fact that you're like, I think I might want this, and I don't know how to get it, the faith has already been given to you because you're wondering how you can have more of it. I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, help my unbelief. And the second prayer is this. Increase our faith. Direct quote from scripture. The disciples. Increase our faith, Jesus. Increase our faith. I believe and help my unbelief when I'm struggling with it. Lord, increase my faith. Increase it. How many of you have prayed for more faith? should be a regular part of your daily life. Lord, increase our faith. You have faith, but you want more faith. You have understanding, you want more understanding. You're striving for Christ-likeness, you want more Christ-likeness. You can kind of see a hazy picture of the kingdom being worked out, and you want a better picture. You want to like kind of rub your sleeve on the view glass and look through and get a better picture of what's going on. Increase our faith, God. These are the two prayers that we, as Christians, would pray. I believe, help my unbelief, and Lord, increase our faith. And so this morning, I'm going to close in prayer, and then we're going to worship in song. And I would say, use this time in prayer and in worship to pray one of those two prayers. Maybe you're in the waves like Peter was, and you need to say, I believe, but help my unbelief, because um, I'm about to go, you know, nose under if, if someone doesn't reach out and grab me, Lord. I believe. Help my unbelief. But some of you might actually be going, nope, uh, I'm walking. I'm walking on the water. We're good. I'm solid ground. But I know at some point, God's going to ask me to do something else that's going to stretch me. 
So, Lord, increase my faith so when he asks me to do something, I might go, yes, right away, without fear or doubt, because my eyes are solely fixed on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of my faith. Why don't we pray, and then we'll sing. Lord, um, it's so easy to read these words in Scripture and to, uh, to go, that was great for them, but not for us. It doesn't work like that in my life. That's not what Scripture's about. Stories are meant to encourage. They're passed down through time, protected by your Holy Word and the Holy Spirit, that we might know that that works for us too. That if we're desperate, Lord, that you, you're just waiting for us to say, Lord, save me. And if we're not sure if we have faith, you've got it wrapped up with a bow for us. And all we need to do is go, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Just a mere statement is all God wants. Just a nod in his direction. Just a just an inkling that shows him that, yes, I want, I want more, God. And he is right there. The word Jesus and the word immediately are always in Scripture. Near each other. Because the minute we ask is the minute Jesus is ready to give abundantly. Lord, this morning we ask for those in this room that would say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, that you would help their unbelief in such a way that is so miraculous that they would be strengthened to stand with you in new ways from this day forward. And Lord, for those who are walking strong with you, we would say, Lord, increase our faith. Increase it. We want want more faith so we can do more things for you. We do great things for you now, God, but we want more faith to take more risk for the kingdom. That kind of risk pays dividends, and we want in on it, God. Increase our faith this morning, Father. And as we sing these words to you, would you be, would you be our all in all? Would you be the only one that we fix our eyes upon? Would you be the only one that we listen to? The only one that we trust for hope, for faith, for life. We love you, Father.